0: Kaya and the Morian Treasure, a novel by R. S. Millette. Read by Merritt Hicks with R. S. Millette as Janaya. If you're listening to this and I'm not dead, then get out of my stuff. If you're listening and I am dead, then you should know. The population of five different planets say I'll be resurrected and I'm coming back to kick your ass. If you're Kaya, then Forgive me. I know you'd be pissed if I talked about you in real life, so I'm telling my journal. So much has been written about us, but not by anyone who knows what they're talking about. Few of them were there, but none of them know you like I do. You've made such a difference in my life, Kaya, that I just have to tell your story, even if it's just a recording. If anyone ever does hear this, I'll pretend to be mad, I'll stomp around and yell, but secretly, I'll be glad that someone else sees you the way I do. You aren't the person history paints you to be, Kaya. Maybe I'm the only one who knows the real you. But now, whoever hears this will know you too. Chapter 1. Victilis When I first met Kaya, I wasn't the galactic adventuress that I am today. I was simply Nadir Aladis. Daughter of the famous Sir Janus Aladus. Don't get me wrong, he was my dad, and I loved him and Mom very much. But sometimes it was hard to live in his shadow. Before I had a shadow of my own. I was kind of a geek back then. This wasn't my fault. I was in my first 15th percentage of life, and Dad was a diplomat, so being his little girl was like being royalty geek. I was going to state dinners as soon as I was old enough to use my own knife and fork. I talked like a midlife college professor. I was raised to be prim, proper, and protocolish. The me back then would bore the me today to death. But what did I know? I was the only kid from Kasiri. That's my native planet, living on Victolus, the world where I grew up. So I spent most of my time with Mom and Dad. Then, when Mom died... I don't want to talk about that. She died of a space plague, which is to say, any one of the viruses, bacteria, or whatever, from one of the planets she and Dad visited. It took her a long time to die. It wasn't pretty. And it still makes me sad to think about. So that's all I'm saying about that. Though, Mom's funeral was kind of a funny scene when I think about it now. You have to picture all of these formal sites at an event they knew nothing about. They must be the most uptight beings in the universe. They conform to the evolution of sentient life theory, you know, at least two eyes, two ears, and big brains like the rest of us. But beyond that, Victalocytes show little sign of actual life, and this follows them in death. In life, they wear clothes that wrap them so tight they can barely breathe and cover them from chin to toe. They must have bladders big enough to hold an ocean, because, <laughs> well, let's just say there are a lot of buttons. In death, they are just as bad. The bodies are cremated in some factory, while the friends and family sit around the house drinking tea and not talking to each other or showing any emotion. On Kasiri, we bury our dead. Mom often talked about visiting her parents' graves on the coast. They died when she was about as old as I am now, so they never got to see her graduate from school, meet Dad, get married, have me, or any of the other important stuff in life. Mom said it helped her to go there and talk with them. It helped her work things out. She made Dad promise that I'd have a place to visit her, so he arranged for her burial in our favorite place on Victolus, a meadow under a big shade tree outside of town. Anyway... The locals did the best they could with a very formal funeral for my very informal mom. Because Dad was famous, visitors from all over the galaxy came to the ceremony. I didn't know any of them except my friend Kuwan. His family were refugees from Admiral Gon's invasion of their home planet, Grasa. None of them talked much about it, but Gon was famous for doing horrible things to the worlds he captured. It must have been true, because I could see a deep kind of sadness in Kwan's eyes. Anyway, they were tightly wrapped Victalius sites and formal visitors from distant planets gathered for Mom's funeral, when from over a distant hill, walked the wildest badass I had ever seen. If I'd not spent another minute with her, just the sight of Kaya's confident strut would have changed my life forever. She was underdressed and overarmed for the occasion, wearing thigh-high leather boots, one of which held her switchblade, and a black pressure suit made of nano-leather that looked like a corset of straps in strategic places. It was a pressure suit. Of course, I didn't know that when Kaya walked over the hill. I just thought she was there to kill someone. Most space jocks wore their pressure suits under their regular clothes as underwear, but not Kaya. Often, that was all she wore. Well, that and her pistol slung low on her thigh, some funky jewelry that always included a matching set of ear cuffs and sunglasses with an orange tint to them. She had a mane of shaggy golden-brown hair that seemed to lighten or darken with every move she made. It was long and full, but never got in her way. All of this adorned a body that I wish I had. Boys must have loved her, though her attitude reeked of, "You touch you die. I got the feeling she could back that up with action. Apparently, Kaya didn't come for the funeral. She waited a polite distance away while a priestess finished her speech about the sacred flow of time. Now, if you have an offering or would like to say some private words with the deceased, please step forward. The priestess gestured for us to line up. Dad was first, so he put his offering into Mom's grave and waited for me to do the same. I put in mine, a letter I would written for her, and a bracelet I'd made her when I was in my first fifth percentage of life. I told her that I would love her forever. It was hard. She looked so lonely in there by herself. Dad placed his hand on my shoulder. You okay? I wasn't, but I nodded yes anyway, wiped my eyes and put on my best brave face. Good. I need to speak with someone, but I'll be right back. He went to talk to Kaya, leading me to play sad hostess to a bunch of people I barely knew. But I would have none of that. I made a show of a deep sigh, wandered off like I needed to be alone, and sat on a little rocky outcrop, a perfect place to listen in on Dad's conversation. Sir Janus Aladus, I presume? You're Kaya. What can I do for you? You've heard of me? Are you the mouthpiece who's trying to unite the planets and get a peace treaty with the pirate systems? I'm afraid so. Then I've heard of you. She was so cool. I imagine I'm not so popular among your friends. Dad was a master of understatement. I haven't got any friends. But there is a price on your head. She paused for a second to see his reaction. During that little pause, I tried to figure out exactly what color her hair was. Each individual strand seemed to have its own shade, from blonde to light red, dark red, brown, and black. The combination made it look tan from a distance, but it would change in the light or how it blew in the wind. Or maybe her mood. I wasn't sure, but I was jealous. My mousy brown hair could never compete with hers. While I mused briefly about her hair, Dad glanced around at his security team, I think the mention of the pirate reward for his capture spooked him a little. Don't worry, I'm no bounty hunter. I'm just a lady with a fast ship trying to make a living. And I got word you might have some work for me. We're not exactly sure, but Kaya figures it was during this conversation that Dad was marked by a sniper. As Kaya said, there was a price on his head among the pirate planets. He was trying to make peace. Pirates don't like peace, as a general rule. They wanted him dead. But not just dead. Captured and tortured, humiliated and executed. Deader than dead. I guess with all the visitors coming for Mom's funeral, someone slipped through security and managed to put a mark on Dad, which are entangled molecules that can be traced from anywhere in the galaxy. Don't ask me how it works. Don't know. Don't care. "'Anyway, he said to Kaya, "'I want to hire you to take me and my daughter Nadir "'to my parents' home on Kaziri. "'Once I know she's settled, "'I want you to take me to the Council of Pirates. "'You can collect that bounty.' "'I said I'm no bounty hunter. "'You'll be doing me a favor.' "'Kaya looked at him like he'd lost his mind, "'but then he let out a cough that sounded as fatal as his plan. "'Clearly his space plague would kill him soon enough.' So, what difference would an execution make? There's a war coming, Dad said after he'd caught his breath. If I can't stop it, maybe I can influence the aftermath. How so? You ever heard of the Morian treasure? Just rumors and lies. The warlord, Admiral Gon claims to be close to finding it. If he does, he'll have enough money and power to organize his own galactic war. He won't find it. The Morian treasure doesn't exist. I know, Dad said, which made Kaya take notice. Gon uses the myth of the treasure to sustain his power with the Council of Pirates. Hm. You mean, join me and you'll get your share of the treasure. Exactly. He'll raise a big enough armada whether he finds the treasure or not. So, how do you fight a myth? You create another one. Dad looked over at me. He knew I was listening, but they weren't talking about anything we hadn't already discussed. I've dedicated my life to peace. It's time I dedicated my death as well. Your death? I'm hoping for a very public execution. I broke Dad's gaze to look over at Mom's grave. This was, without a doubt, the most awful day of my life. And it was about to get worse. Are you ready? Dad waited until all the funeral guests had left to execute our plan. If I'd packed for our trip before that moment, word would have certainly gotten out about our escape. So I had to work in a hurry. I crammed everything I could into two big trunks, mostly clothes, some personal stuff. Still, I think I left my entire childhood behind that night. We had to sneak past our bodyguards, out of the house, and drive down to the space dock to meet Kaya. The closer the time came to leave, the more nervous I got. When Dad came to me just after sundown, I thought I'd jump out of my skin. But then, evading our bodyguards wasn't as hard as I thought. Most nights, Dad would step out for some air and have a little chat with whomever was on guard duty. On this night, no suspicions were aroused when he talked a little longer than usual. While he did, I lowered our trunks out of my bedroom window in the back. They were heavy and I had to keep from making any noise as I wrapped a rope through the top handle like a pulley, slowly eased one to the ground, then pulled the rope up again for the next. That done, I jumped out of the window and hauled the luggage to an old junker of a transport Dad had bought and parked a couple of streets over. The trunks took three trips. On my way back for the last piece, I saw him climbing out of the same window. He had a towel with him to muffle his coughs. That seemed too easy, I told him when we got in the car. Not really. The guards are meant to keep people out of the house, not us inside. They would not be happy when we turned up missing. It was a long drive, and I wasn't happy. Dad had explained his plan to me over the past several weeks, but I was never sure how I felt about the whole thing until that moment. After I sat stewing for a few minutes, Dad finally spoke up. You okay? I got right to the point. I don't know why Grams and Granda have to take care of me. I'm old enough to be on my own. Dad didn't answer. Instead, he pulled the car to the side of the road and stopped. I looked around the dark night in panic. Dad, what are you doing? We have to keep going. They'll find us. No, this is important. He was calm, not angry or in a hurry. He took a moment before he spoke. You're right. You are almost old enough to take care of yourself. You're certainly mature enough. Thanks for noticing. I don't know why I said that. It sounded mean. I guess I was just upset. I'm not going to be around much longer. You know that. We've talked about it enough. What we haven't talked about so much is that you're going to have to start making your own decisions. So this might as well be one of them. Do you want to stay here? Kuan's parents said they would be happy to have you. Sometimes it completely sucked to have your dad be a brilliant diplomat. I looked down at the heavy fabric of my dress. I don't know. Kuan was the closest thing I had to a friend on Victolus. His parents worked with Dad. He waited for a little bit, but then said, You were right about them coming to look for us as soon as they know we're missing. So this big decision has to come in the next few minutes. Would you like some help making up your mind? I guess. Why did he have to be so nice and understanding? I wanted to yell at him and lose my temper so I could storm out of the car and have the decision made for me. Here's what your mother thought. We're the only people from Kaziri on this planet. You've grown up with an understanding of so many different cultures, which is great, but you don't know much about your own. She wanted you to speak your native language with someone other than us. She also hoped you would share your multicultural experiences with the people on Kasiri. Why is that? Honestly, our planet isn't the most understanding place in the galaxy. Worse than here? This is a close second. That's what Mom thought. I almost didn't want to ask this question. What do you think? I think you're right. You do? You think I should stay here? I didn't say that. <coughs> I don't think you need Grams and Granda to take care of you. I'm hoping that, in a few years, you'll be there to take care of them. They need someone to love and look after them now that their children are... gone? Yeah. <coughs> but I want it to be your decision. Going to Kasiri, living with them for a while... Then you can go off to whatever university you like. My name will pretty much get you into wherever you want to go. Then, some years from now, if they need you... Well, like I said, your decision. I sighed and put my head on the back of the seat. Oh, crap, Dad. Just drive. It was late at night when we got to the space dock which, generally speaking, is not a place cultured young women should frequent. Sure, the luxury liners are fine, all pretty and clean and dripping money, but we were at a freight port. The smell alone nearly killed me. Not much was going on, but from the wear and tear, I got the feeling that during the day, this place was busy. Kaya's ship was the only one loading that night. Big bales of cotton. She was yelling at the ground crew. No, no, you've got to balance the load around the gravity rod. Loads shift toward the center. Plan on it. She was chewing out these hardened dock workers like they were little kids. That made me wonder what she'd do with me. She finally saw us standing by the gangplank, dressed formally and obviously father and daughter. We must have stuck out like snow in the desert in that Victalis backwater. Kaya marched off her ship right up to me. Got enough stuff? Uh... She was taller up close, and all that time she'd spent loading her ship had pumped up her muscles and covered her in a layer of sweat, but her look didn't stammer me as much as her attitude. I had been raised in a diplomatic society, where every word was measured, every gesture thought out and analyzed. Kaya wasn't like that at all. She spoke her mind without hesitation. Dad had taught me that fear is just anticipation of the unknown, and often a waste of time. When you think you're going to drown in fear, he'd told me, grab onto facts and the truth like a life preserver. They'll get you through. Ma'am, I've already parted with so much. This is all I have left in the world. It was the truth. Dad was right. It's a powerful ally. Kaya backed off a bit, but nodded toward the dock workers. I'm paying these guys to load cotton, not luggage. I can carry my own weight, and to prove it, I hoisted up my heaviest trunk. You'll have to stow it all in your quarters. Of course, was all I could manage to say, with the trunk on my back. And don't call me ma'am. I'm not that much older than you are. Yes, ma'am. I thought my legs would break under the strain as I made my way toward the gangplank. Still, when I realized what I'd said, I stopped, and looked back. Sorry. Kaya just waved me forward. Between huffs and puffs, I overheard Dad make excuses for my attitude. You know, upset about Mom and stuff. Kaya said, don't apologize. She's going to have to carry her own weight from now on. I think she knows that. Kaya took the suitcase Dad was carrying. He looked too weak to manage it. As they followed behind me talking about the price of cotton on the ice planet of Clone Air, I smiled a little to myself. Kaya didn't rip my head off. And she was helping Dad, who obviously had plague. Maybe she wasn't so scary after all. Maybe. A spaceship on a planet, or down the well, as they call it, is like a sea creature sitting on land. The things just aren't made to fly in an atmosphere. On the rare occasions when they do land on a planet, they generally fall like a meteor and either splash down in an ocean if they're lucky, or manage a controlled catastrophe near a spaceport. Then the captain has to hope the local crews can mount booster rockets to get the thing back out of the gravity well, which can cost a small fortune. Needless to say, most captains prefer to dock in orbit and take a shuttle down the well. Victalis didn't have an orbiting dock, so Kaia's ship stood rigged for takeoff when I first saw it. Giant booster rockets hugged the craft. Obscuring much of my view. The rockets had Victalis labels on them, with little merchant translations printed underneath. Typical. The whole galaxy speaks merchant, but Victalis treats it like an afterthought. As monstrous as the boosters were, the vessel encased in them wasn't as big as I expected. What did I know? I was so young when Dad moved us from Kasiri to Victalis, this was practically my first flight. Besides the obvious concerns of exploding rockets, the endless void, burning up on re-entry, and things like that, space travel came with other dangers. There was no law in space. The difference between right and wrong was up to each individual's opinion and their ability to defend it. That's what Dad's mission for the Coalition of Merchant Planets was all about. Making space a safe place for everyone. Coming aboard Kaia's ship made it clear how far he had to go. With each step I took on the gangway, I moved further from the rigid, law abiding world of Victalis and closer to the wilderness of space. Between the booster rockets and the ship proper, I saw an armor plated porthole with a laser cannon jutting through it. The burn marks around the barrel told me that the hardware wasn't just for show. I stopped at the top of the gangway. The blast shields were up encasing the ship in a dark metal cocoon that made it seem like a dungeon, with Kaya as the keeper. She squeezed around me and led us on board. We stepped onto the main deck, where large masts sprang from below. At the moment, they didn't go any higher than the dome of the blast shields. Their rigging sat folded up like a bird of prey that had tucked its wings for a nap, or, in our case, takeoff. Above the floor level and toward the back was a command deck, from all the equipment, well-worn captain's chair, knick-knacks, little kitchenette, as well as its general lived-in look, I figured that's where Kaya spent most of her time. Under the bridge lay the entrance to the crew's quarters. Judging by the dark grunge of age, this door might have led to the home of a troll or some other ghastly creature. Suddenly, it dawned on me that we were going to have to travel with Kaya's crew. She was scary enough as captain. What beasts did she have to do her dirty work? This way. Following her through the door and down the steps, I discovered an emptiness almost as scary. Where's your crew? Don't have one. Most of the quarters have been converted to cargo space. She indicated a room across from the stairs that completed the image of a dungeon. It was more prison cell than room. You can stow your gear in there. We won't be aboard that long. But there's a cot if you get tired. I would never be tired enough to sleep on that pile of rags. To Dad, she said, your quarters are on the port side. Come on, I'll show you. And she led him down the hall. No sooner had I lugged my first trunk inside than Kaya popped her head in. Get the rest of your luggage. Strap it down and come up to the command deck. We're taking off as soon as the cargo is aboard. I managed to wrestle my other trunk into the room and strap both in place as best I could before going up to join the others. Kaya had rigged two seats next to her captain's chair, but they looked pretty temporary. I got the feeling she didn't like to travel with company. Dad had already buckled himself into the chair on Kaya's right, so I took the other one. As soon as I sat down, Kaya lashed me in place with impressive strength and complete purpose. There was no apology in her handling of me. None of the may I or if you please that I had been raised with She wasn't rude. She just had a job to do. And she did it. Can you breathe? was all she asked. Barely. Good. Kai would often say that the only way to get out of a gravity well is for something to blow up. You just have to hope it's not you. Those words wouldn't have comforted me then, but I could have used some kind of warning of what was about to happen. I mean, I knew what rockets were, and that we were about to blast off but I figured Kaya would have to sit down first, right? I wouldn't have to worry until then, right? Wrong. Instead of taking her seat, Kaya stood on a disc. The disc wasn't a big deal, more like a decoration on the floor, worn out with age. It was just a little wider than her shoulders, so with her feet on its edges, Kaya looked like a general surveying her troops. She put on her wicked cool orange sunglasses. Looking over her shoulder, I could see masses of swirling, psychedelic colors on the inside. Ship! I nearly jumped out of my skin. In a single word, she left no doubt about who was in charge of this operation. System status. All systems are go for takeoff. The voice of the ship was terse, but calm, and sounded like a guy, though I could be wrong about that. Hard to tell. Sneaking a peek behind Kaya's glasses, I could see tiny text scrolling in the left lens, which Kaya ignored. Flight path status? No immediate atmospheric craft. Fifty ships in orbit alerted to our trajectory. 273 low-orbit satellites all outside our window. Kaya ignored more text and flight path graphics that I could see flickering over the other images on the inside of her glasses. I noticed that on the command desk, which once upon a time must have occupied three or four crew members, each monitor seemed to show one of the elements that added to the composite view in Kaya's glasses. ''Dockmaster, Kaya, good to go. Standing by.'' Another voice filled the ship, this one with a Victalis accent. ''Copy that, Kaya. Dock is ready. You are clear to blow.'' Kaya put her hands down by her side and spread her fingers wide. Up from the floor sprang two little banisters just big enough for her to hold onto. They snapped into her hands. ''Ship!'' On my call, burn these rental rockets. Roger, standing by to fire external booster rockets set for ambient pressure of 1.5 atmosphere standard. On your mark. Will these things auto-adjust to zero pressure? Affirmative. That's good, because I could only afford one stage anyway. I had no idea what she and the ship were talking about, but it sounded like she knew what she was doing. Kaya then got quiet. She cracked the knuckles of her strong hands rolled her neck around a couple of times, and crouched where she stood, like a runner making ready. She adjusted her grip on the handles and shouted, Burn! You cannot imagine the sound, because it was more than just a sound. It was power, pure, unadulterated, dangerous, explosive power in the form of sound that filled every cell of my body. I screamed like a kid, and no one comforted me. I screamed like a woman, and no one cared. I had never felt anything like that in my life. I was scared and excited, and at the same time, one complex feeling of joy and agony seemed to erupt from my bones. And we hadn't even moved yet. I shot a quick glance at Dad. He was holding on tight and trying to be strong, but I could tell he was bracing for more. Straight in front of me, Kaya still crouched like a tiger, holding under her handles, and I swear I heard her yell, "'Yeah, baby!' She pulled a trigger on each handle, releasing the mooring jaws that held the ship to the dock. And suddenly, I couldn't breathe as we raced away from the planet. Everything I had known was rushing behind me, gone forever. I screamed even louder, glad for the noise of the rockets. I screamed for the loss of my mother. I screamed because I knew my father was sick and dying— I screamed because I was as scared of the rockets as I was of the unknown they were blasting me into. I screamed, and it felt good. Oops. The engines fell silent, leaving me screaming like an idiot. Embarrassing. I bounced back and forth between the tiny bit of breathing slack in the seatbelts and the seat itself, making me glad Kaya had strapped me in so tight. We were in space and not accelerating, weightless. But that wouldn't last. Kaya was busy. Ship. Jettison the rentals. Hoist the main mast and. Incoming target bearing 39 by 50. Closing fast. Booster rockets jettisoned. Hoisting main mast. Aye. I... We were barely out of the Victalis atmosphere and were already under attack. They didn't take long to find us. Hang on. It took me a second to realize Kaya was talking to us. And then she wasn't. Ship. Burn internal boosters and rig for fast sailing. Burning. Aye. Another roar of rockets deafened me, and I once again had weight. Kaya's pressure suit had become rigid along the back of her bent legs, so that she was actually sitting on it when we pulled G-forces. On the main deck, the masts had come to life. Rising out of the bowels of the ship, they hit the blast shields and pushed through the metal. One of the command monitors showed four external views from observation cameras, There, I could see the masts unfurl their mighty wings. The ship's alarms cracked me out of my fascination with the workings of the vessel. Incoming missiles! The monitors were going crazy with red flashing lights. Kaya turned to Dad with a casual rapport. This might get a little bumpy. She then started surfing on the disc, which was floating on the floor. She leaned to the left, raised her right arm. The monitors showed the wings shift accordingly, and the ship turned to the left, Kaya flicked her wrist, and two canisters erupted from one of those portals I had seen when I came aboard. "'Decoys away!' proclaimed the ship. Kaya leaned back, and we shot straight up. At least, I think it was up. Hard to tell in space. A second later, the incoming missiles blasted the decoys to smithereens. A little bumpy. Those explosions shook the soul out of me. And they missed. Dad was surprisingly calm. "'They're not wasting any time.' Kaya was calm too, which was not surprising. Relax, he's not a real threat. Just then, more explosions rocked the ship. That cannon fire seems real enough. How did Dad know about cannon fire? Kaya looked up, and I guess the glasses looked with her, cause she said, that's Derek's ship. Like she could see it. He's an old... friend. As if to say, ha! Huh. Derek's cannons exploded against the ship. Kaya shouted like he could hear her. You still shoot too quick, Derek. Then she turned to us. I know all those moves. And again, we were blasted. This time, harder and longer. Making Kaya mad. Hang on, we're going to tick. Now, Dad was scared. We haven't been sedated. Without missing a beat, Kaya swung around and kicked Dad in the nose. Now you have. Blood splattered all over Dad's face. He was out, cold. Holy. It's a good thing Dad was unconscious. "'cause I said something he wouldn't have liked.' "'Kaya looked at me with wild eyes. "'You want to be sedated, too?' "'Uh, no, ma'am.' "'He'll be fine. Don't worry.' "'Derek's ship did something that made Kaya steer hard to the left. "'Another explosion. Another near miss. "'But I was worried about something else.' "'They say you'll go crazy if you tick without sedating.' "'Kaya cocked her leg up like she was going to kick me, too. "'I never sedate.' "'Do I look crazy to you?' "'Well, yeah.' It was true. Her eyes were wide with excitement, and her hair had changed color. Instead of the multicolor brown, it was now a glossy black. Under this new look, she smirked, closest thing to a smile I'd seen from her. I like you, kid. Instead of kicking me, she pressed a button on the console in front of her, and we ticked. Imagine living your entire life in less than an instant, yet experiencing every moment of every day of every year. Then, imagine that you don't like how it turns out, so you go back to where you think you went wrong and live your life all over again, still in less than a second. Don't like the way that one turns out either? Do it again, and again, and again, and again. Eventually, lifetime after lifetime pile up on each other. You experience every bit of them from birth to death, but all in less time than it takes to blink. Then, just as fast as it started, it stops. That's a small fraction of what it's like to be awake during a tick. Not that it really stopped for me. It actually got worse. The tick was over, but I was still tickled, as they call it. When we popped back into time, the lives began to last a little longer, and it hurt. When someone hit me, I felt it physically. When a loved one died, I felt it emotionally. And millions upon millions of such painful possibilities flooded me all at once. I found myself screaming again. Through this haze, I heard one voice shouting at me. That's the pain. It was Kaya's voice. Feel it. Let it happen. You can't run from it. All the emotional pain you're ever going to feel in your life. Here it is. All at once. Her words weren't exactly helping. But then again, I was just barely aware that she was real and not just another one of the temporary lives flashing before my soul. Every broken heart you'll ever have, every death, every loss, every betrayal, it all happens. She wasn't lying. I felt all of that, and it hurt me to the core. I gave birth and raised a family a thousand million times. A few of my children died before me. That hurt the most. Sometimes I died alone, which wasn't a lot of fun either. Let it happen. Kaya's tone was quick and to the point, like a doctor performing emergency surgery at the scene of an accident, only she was working on the victim's emotions. Somewhere in my head, I became aware of Dad struggling to get out of his chair. What have you done? She's just a little tickled. She'll be fine. Tickled? You mean insane? Oh, by all that is holy! I still didn't have a clue which of the lives I was a part of was the one I should be living. Kaya was everywhere and several of her copies were talking to me. Everything happens, Nadir, one would say. The good and the bad, said another. You feel the pain first, okay? I was losing counts of them all. It's sharp, and it's overpowering. Breathe, Nadir, remember to breathe. This one was good, because suddenly I realized I needed to take in some air. And I did. Dad stepped in front of me. Come back to me, baby. Come back. Kaya stopped him. Not yet. What? Four or five Kaya's spoke to me. Stay in it. Don't deny it. Don't fight it. My multiple dads were upset. No, that's wrong. All of the manuals say, Well, they're all wrong. She'd snapped so hard at my dads, and with such conviction that most of them shut up. The Kayas turned back to me. You can't run away from it, baby. Your life is a big, beautiful, painful mess. It hurts sometimes, right? But not always, right? I noticed that I was still screaming in fear and pain. Had been the whole time. The emotional and physical pain of life was so overwhelming that I didn't want to live. I couldn't understand why anyone would choose to live if they knew what I knew at that moment. Life was pain. If I had come out of the tick right then, I think I would have done anything I could to end my own life. But Kaya's words worked their way into my brain. Let the pain fall away. Feel the joy. Feel the happiness that's ahead of you. That's what stays with you. Slowly, I began to see that for every dark moment of pain, there was a brighter, longer time of enjoyment, usually before it, sometimes after. Light, shadow, then light again. The kaias continued. Everything happens, the good and the bad. You feel the bad first and most, but it doesn't last. Don't linger on it find the joy. As she said that, the brighter moments blocked out the painful ones. I began to feel warm and comfortable and loved. I must have smiled, because the Kaya's relaxed. There's the joy. It's nice, isn't it? It was. Kaya's voice was soothing, but still detached. Her job was to get us safely to Kasiri, and getting me out of my tickled state was part of that. Remember, every romance, every kiss, every birth... Every time you loved someone and every time they loved you back, embrace all of the life you're about to lead. The sense of joy was so overpowering, I'd do anything to get it back again. I can understand why people get addicted to being tickled. You can't imagine how good it feels once you're past that whole life-is-too-painful-to-live part. But just as I closed my eyes to live forever in imaginary bliss, Kaya coaxed me back. Sweetie, she said, like she was my best friend. I think she just couldn't remember my name. Come back to us now. While she brought me back, she must have grabbed Dad and put him in front of me, because he was the first thing I saw. That's it. Your eyes are open. You can use them now. I did. And there was Dad in the flesh. I'd just lived countless lives with him, felt the pain every time he died, and the great joy of every moment I was with him. Once I was with him for real, something inside me said that the actual joy was better than the artificial one i just felt in the tick. I gave him such a big hug that I think I squeezed all the air out of him. That was intense. Eh, a billion lifetimes in less than an instant. Some can't handle it. Call me crazy, but I think there was the slightest bit of respect in her voice. But her hair? Wait, I was in the wrong reality. Panic gripped my chest. No, this is wrong. "'What, honey?' I could see Dad's anxiety as he had no idea how to help. I pointed to Kaya. "'You're blonde! The other Kaya, before... I'm in the wrong reality!' "'Oh, my hair? Yeah, it does that. You're in the right life.' As she said this, it looked as if each strand twisted to hide the blonde look and returned to her usual collective golden brown. "'Wow!' was all I could manage on that subject at the time. Kaya didn't seem to want to talk about that. "'How's your nose?' She was talking to Dad, but I almost answered her. I think I'd had a thousand nose breaks in that tick. It's fine. For a diplomat, he was a lousy liar. I'll get some ice. Why don't you lay her down in her cabin? We'll hold out here for a while, make repairs, and rest up before we tick to Kaziri. Rest sounds like a good idea. As he took me to my room, I realized that it had only been a few minutes since we'd taken off. But for the first time in what seemed like days, it was quiet. I liked the quiet. It meant I wasn't screaming. But it wasn't quiet enough. The mark that had somehow been put on dad at home was shouting to its master, telling the pirates exactly where we were. Turns out, that moment of calm was just a lull in the storm that was about to kick into full gear.